Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. We're coming live to you from a hotel room in Vancouver. I'm currently looking at Nick and he has his headphones on. I'm not sure why because we're not on Zoom. We're literally in the same room. But hey, Nick, you look great. I, You know what? I am a creature of habit, Dan. And uh, this is, you know, we usually do these on Zoom. It's actually almost awkward to be in the same room as you and look at you directly in the eye as we do this podcast for one of the first times in person. But yes, out in Vancouver. And man, what a trip it has been so far. What have we, you want to give a high level of kind of what we've done and then we'll dive into today's episode? Yeah, for sure. So we just finished our much anticipated interview with notable Canadian billionaire, 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 founder of Lululemon, Chip Wilson. Uh, they he also brought with him his director of low tide properties, which is a major landlord in Vancouver. And we talked to them about real estate, and it was a it was a really really good conversation. I'm looking forward to getting that episode out next week. We also went to... Yeah, I think the coolest thing about that is, you know, we, we've we listened to a bunch of the other stuff that uh, that Chip has has done and, and, and the other podcast and his book, and he really doesn't talk about real estate. So I'm pretty stoked that we're like the first ones that actually got real estate out of them, right? So proprietary conversation right there. Chip Wilson's first real estate interview ever, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we also, right after that, this has been a whirlwind trip. We, right after that, we went to the Vancouver Real Estate Forums, uh, which is a big conference uh, in the commercial real estate space. We were lucky enough to get media passes for that, and uh, we'll be bringing some awesome information. But there was, we showed up for you know a couple of panels, and it, actually, interestingly, the mayor of Vancouver, Ken Sim, was there talking about their new density targets and policies and programs, which is really interesting because you know we have been talking on the show a lot about how we think that concepts like Bill 23 in Ontario are going to start happening coast to coast and you're going to start seeing um, different governments pushing to get more gentle density or missing middle density. And this is just really a reflection of that. And we're happy to see that that, that assumption was right because we think that is one of the big opportunities that exists for small cap real estate investors in Canada. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's episode, which is how to finance things like that. Um, and then tomorrow, or sorry, later today, we're actually going to be on the Vancouver Real Estate uh, Podcast. We're going to have them on our podcast. We're going to talk about the market. And we actually have a meetup tonight, which is Thursday, April 6th. You'll be hearing this episode on the 7th, but um, with Steve Soretsky and a bunch of other people from the Vancouver Real Estate space. So really, really exciting trip so far. And uh, anyway, we'll get to the meat of the episode now, but uh, Vancouver has been an absolute blast, super welcoming and, and really loving it here. And you know, we've only caught uh, a day of rain so far. So the weather has actually been agreeable as well, but enough yeah, of the we, weather. We showed up. I think they had their annual sunny day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Vancouver has been amazing so far and we will be focusing on uh, a Vancouver specific episode where we go over everything we've done and we're really looking forward to to showing you guys all the great things about Vancouver, about Vancouver real estate. But that's not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about today is a few very important acronyms for investors because you know acronyms are basically synonymous with investing. And yes, we've done episodes on ROIs and VTBs, but today we are going to be talking about CMHC. 
and that is Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Now, CMHC's stated mission is to promote housing affordability and choice to facilitate access to and and competition and efficiency in the provision of housing finance to protect the availability of adequate funding for housing and generally to contribute to the well-being of the housing sector. That is a hell of a mission statement they have there. A bit of a mouthful. Very bureaucratic definition for sure. Um, To to put it more simply, they want to make more housing and make housing (laughs) more affordable. I think would probably be the best that'd be summary. A, that'd be an easier way to say it, yeah. And they, they were founded in 1946, so most Canadians have probably touched or used one of their programs in the past or you know, through their lifetime. So I think like a lot of people know who CMHC is. Whenever you hear housing stats, it's off, it often comes from CMHC when you know if you're going to buy a house as a first-time homebuyer, if you're using a high loan-to-value mortgage, you're usually using CMHC insurance. Um, and it's taxpayer funded. It is, um, you know, their primary focus is to provide federal funding for Canadian housing programs, particularly to buyers with demonstrated needs. So home ownership is a big part for them. They are moving more into pushing for rental tenure, as I think we're mo- we were accepting that we're moving towards a renter's economy in Canada. They're headquartered in Ottawa, which is where a lot of the government, in- um, I guess, institutions are, and you know, for proximity's um, sake, and. It provides additional services to renters and homebuyers, including mortgage insurance that I mentioned, as well as other financial assistance programs. We're actually here, you know, one of the people that we that we know well in Vancouver who actually helped us get the meeting with um, with Chip Wilson is putting together a program that is in CMHC's space. So um, they act as an information hub for consumers. Providing information on renting, financial planning, home buying, and mortgage management. CMHC also manages mortgage loan insurance, or you know what we're going to be talking about today, MLI for short, for public and private housing organizations, and facilitates affordable, accessible, and adaptable housing in Canada. Yeah, they also provide financial assistance and housing programs for First Nations and Indigenous communities across Canada. Uh, their services include project funding and mortgage financing and insurance. Uh, you might know them as the guys who insure the LTV residential mortgages, uh, providing information to understand Canada's housing market. If you're a listener to the show, first of all, thank you. But that, you also have probably heard Dan and I reference CMHC data a number of times because they're always putting out uh, a great data. Innovation and leadership networks to access funding and talent to spur housing innovation and increase supply. That's kind of one of their overall goals. And then providing speakers and hosting events for the industry. Yeah. So, you know, it's important context that you might know them as the people who insure high loan to value residential mortgages. So if you're buying a house, typically it has to be a primary residence to get CMHC insurance. You can't use it for a rental property. Although I've I've always said that I think that's probably the the most common type of mortgage fraud in, in Canada is that people say, oh, this is my primary residence and then just rent it out and they get it with 95% loan to value. Don't do that, by the way. That's literally illegal. Um, but they also provide similarly mortgage loan insurance for the creation and ownership of rental housing through this program called MLI Select, in which the MLI stands for Mortgage Loan Insurance. So MLI Select is an innovative new multi-unit mortgage loan insurance product focused on affordability, accessibility, and climate compatibility. 
access reduced premiums and longer amortization periods based on the level of commitment to those three components, affordability, accessibility, and climate compatibility using that MLI Select program. And the the interesting part from my perspective is this program applies to five or more units. And so, you know, for people who are owning, we, we've always said in, in this podcast and maintained in this podcast that getting small buildings and adding units to it is going to be one of the big opportunities to create value. And once you see the amortization periods, the loan to values that you can get hit by getting into that five plus number of units, and it, it will literally blow your mind. It's 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 completely changes the game. And that's their goal. Their goal is to change the game, make the economics of rental housing so good that it's irresistible for investors. So they want to create more housing. Maybe that's the new mission statement right there. Changing the game. It is TSN turning point. They got a CMHC <laughs> turning point. Um, so MLI select uses a point system. It's, it's pretty easy to understand, but we're going to go through it just to give some context. Cause I, I really do think I would like to see more and more small landlords as we start to see density programs, like the one that Ken Sim just talked about at the Vancouver real estate program, like bill 23, see more density programs. I'd like to see people like our listeners making meaningful contributions to solving the housing crisis by creating density, by adding units, getting up above that five plus units and and qualifying for programs like this. And so we want to talk about using this tool because it is quite simply the best tool potentially in the world for people who want to create rental housing. Um, so the more committed you are to these social and environmental outcomes, the better the incentives are for you as an individual. So this is the other piece. We want to create sustainable housing that has social good. You can choose to focus on a single area like affordability or combine commitments to increase the points and incentives. Yeah, you know, I think the the coolest thing about this specific product within CMHC, the MLI Select um, product, is that they did gamify it a little bit by making it a point system, which I think is is a really cool way to to get people attracted to a product like this. So let's start to go through. Let's look at uh, the MLI cut sheet at a glance. CMHC's MLI Select product offers scaling flexibilities to encourage the preservation and creation of affordable, accessible, and climate-compatible units. Flexibilities include higher loan-to-value ratios, increased amortizations, lower debt coverage ratios, and reduced premiums. Man, those are all major, major things right there. So yeah, they say you can't have your cake and eat it too. But. Well, they haven't met CMHC. <laughs> um, for, let's talk about property types and sizes that that fit into this program. Dan had already kind of mentioned this, but let's do a bit of a deeper dive. So in both new and existing affordable, energy efficient, and or accessible housing projects include standard rental housing, single room occupancy, supportive housing, and retirement homes. Student housing projects are only eligible to qualify under energy efficiency or accessibility. So that's two out of the three main um, areas that you can get points. Now, the minimum project size uh, is five units, except for retirement homes, where the minimum goes up to 50 units or beds, uh, which is required to to get this uh, program. The non-residential components, so you cannot exceed 30% of gross floor area or 30% of total lending value. So the loan relating to non-residential component must not exceed 75% of lending value on the non-residential component. So the criteria is that borrowers can com commit to any contribution 
to the following social that comes through a minimum of 50 points. And that's what you need. You need 50 points in each or across those buckets to qualify for the MLI Select program. And the buckets are affordability, accessibility, and energy efficiency. So in the affordability component, the project must meet a key criteria related to affordability. And I'm going to be completely honest here. Like For most people in the business of building rental housing, this can often make a project not economical. So from my perspective, at least the clients that I know who are using this type of program, this is probably the one that they're using the least. And, and CMHC probably wouldn't like hearing me say this, but that's that's just the reality. It's, it's really difficult when you're... Well, when I explain it to you, you have to reduce the um, rents on, on certain units to um, by a certain amount to make it affordable. As soon as you do that, you're obviously impacting the cash flow of the deal. And, but then you know they do also go back and stretch out the amortization. And, and, and so they can improve the cash flow as well on the long-term holder, the term debt. Um, if, if renter income data is not available in the specific market, they will accept income data from comparable centers so and provincial data or comparable rural centers. Affordability criteria applies for a minimum of 10 years with borrowers committing to 20 years after... Uh, or sorry, com- those committing to 20 years getting an extra 30 points, which is like greater than 50% of what you need to qualify. So if you make a 20-year commitment to keep rents low, basically. Um the base affordable rents for designated affordable units must not increase by the end amount greater than the annual increase. So, so you have to follow the same rules. Um, but the outcome is assessed based on the percentage of units within the project with rents equal to or below the established threshold for the subject market. So for new construction, level one, which is 50 points, so you already hit the checkbox right away, is minimum of 10% of units. Um have to be 30% of the medium, median renter income. So remember we've talked on the show about how they consider, in quotation marks, affordable housing to be a person spending no more than 30% of the annual household income in that area on rent. Um, there are other ones where they'll say you can do it like 70% of average market rent or a comparable unit. Um, they end up being pretty close. Like 30% of median renter income is usually 70 or 60 or 70% of market rent. Level two or 70 points is 15% of those units hit that affordability threshold. And then level three, 100 points is 25%. So a quarter of all of your units would be considered affordable to the average household based on median rent or income in that area. Now, again, you only need 50 points. So to hit level three and, and double up on a you know the 100 points and, and have a quarter of your units maxed out of the medium rent or income, I personally doubt that many people would would take that route but uh but hey it's there so let's move on to the next one which is accessibility now one of the objectives of the mli select is to support the preservation and the creation or accessible rental housing across the country the commitment to accessibility is based on the number of units that are considered accessible in accordance with the csa uh, the CSA standard B651-18, uh, don't worry about that. <laughs> the principles of universal design or a or to meet the Rick Hansen certification standards. Projects must also be 100% vis- visitable and all common areas within the building must be barrier-free, each in accordance with, again, that CSA standard. Uh, we will be will be used to signed attestation that supports the commitment to achieving the accessibility criteria or confirmation of the achievement 
within permitted timeframes. Attestations are to be completed by an architect or designed accessibility consultant and submitted at the time of application. So this outcome is assessed based on the level of accessibility and adaptable building design. And again, we've got two levels here. Level one gives you 20 points, and that's minimum 15% of units are considered accessible in accordance with, again, that CSA standard B651-18, or minimum 15% of units are universal design um, in the Rick Hansen Foundation Accessibility Certification. Level two, which gives you 30 points. And again, minimum 15% of units are considered accessible in accordance. Uh, and 85% of units are uh, designed, again, achieving that Rick Hansen. 100% of units um, in uh, universal design, sorry, or 100% of units are accessible in accordance to that same CSA standard uh, certification. And the building receives the Rick Hansen Foundation Accessibility Certification of Gold, which gives you the score of 80% or better. Dan, do you know who Rick Hansen is? No, do you? No. <laughs> I'll have to look him up. Yeah. Um, not one of the Hansen brothers from back in the day. Is certainly it? not, no. Um, so the ener energy efficiency component, the next piece is using... Um, so you need a qualified professional basically to attest to the word Nick used uh, attestation is basically that they have to attest to something. So typically when you hear about like a engineer stamping a drawing, it's kind of what they're doing here, as well as the use of third party building standards and certifications to validate the energy efficiency commitments of the application. So basically similar to the one before qualified professionals, be an engineer, an architect. These are all things that you're going to need, by the way, if you're building a building or you're, you're adding units to a building. This isn't just to get the program. These are right. standard things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so you still need uh, an architect, certified engineering technologist, certified energy manager. Typically you have to do heat loss studies and all of these things for doing res residential building um, additions anyway, within the national building code or provincial building code that you would have. Um, they also want to see an energy simulation software or, or sorry, you could also use an energy simulation software to conduct the analysis. Um, and they do have a required documentation guide, which we're going to go through um, that'll kind of show you the softwares that can be used in, in the certifications. But I think one of the important pieces to note here is that if you're building within the local building code or the federal building code standards, you are nine times out of 10 going to be meeting the required criteria you're going to be checking enough boxes to accumulate enough points to still to also fit into mli select program so if you are an ad value investor and you want to be creating new units if you have a if you bought a huge house in an urban area and you want to put five units in it or maybe four plus an adu or detached adu you're likely to have to just to get your building permits, you're likely to have to build it in such a standard that is energy efficient and will already qualify for MLI Select. So really interesting insight in into kind of how good the opportunity is and how the system is built where, you know, if you're creating units, you're already checking those boxes. And so you really should be considering using programs like this. And and I would say like if you if you're interested in doing that, reach out to to Nick and I. I know Nick and some of the partners that we work with have brokered a lot of deals through these programs. So uh, connect with us. We'd be happy to kind of 
point you in the right direction. It's not like you can just go on the CMHC website. Like all of the information that we're reading to you is on the CMHC website, but you can't just go on the CMHC website and go in their chat bot and be like, I want a loan for an MLI select, right? So if only it was um, that easy. Yeah. So give us a shout if, if this is something you're interested in doing and we'd love to kind of help you connect you with the right people and help you through that, that process. Uh, yeah. Program, yeah. Process. No, well said, Dan. We've, and we've developed relationships with some of the key brokers that, that have a great understanding and relationship with, with CMHC. I just want to rewind there and just again, give a, uh, a highlight. So again, that's affordability, accessibility, and energy efficiency. Those are the three main buckets. I also want to put some respect on Rick. Hansen's name, otherwise known as Richard Hansen, who is a Canadian track and field athlete, activist, philanthropist, all for people with disabilities. So following a pickup truck crash at the age of 15, Hansen sustained a spinal cord injury and became a paraplegic. Um, this guy is just a Canadian legend. Um, so happy to see that, uh, you know, that CMHC has, has named a, uh, has named something after him. Um, Let's move on to product timelines here, Dan. So energy uh, criteria and accessibility criteria. Now, where improvements or constructions are undertaken prior to the request for loan insurance, documentation confirming achievement of that criteria is required as part of the loan insurance application. So work must be completed within 12 months of that request. Where insured financing is used to undertake improvements or construction, documentation confirming achievements of the criteria is required within 60 days after the last advance where improvements are completed with borrowers own resources or non-insured financing documentation confirming achievements of the criteria is required within 24 months of the last advance so unlike the affordability criteria the energy efficiency criteria or the accessibility criteria does not need to be demonstrated on an annual basis. Once achieved, the borrower's commitment is considered fulfilled and there are no further requirements. So moving on to the affordability criteria portion, much like the, you know, the the accessibility having to meet, like as, as Nick mentioned, the Rick Hansen Foundation gold would get you a, a you know, an additional type of um, point system. So, and I'm, I'm actually looking at that website because I was started Googling it at the same time as you as well. And so basically... There's um, several different levels of um, so the Rick Hansen Foundation actually like determines accessibility of buildings. I guess they do building audits and sort of so there's like gold certified and then not certified, and they that would be like this percentage based thing. So another very not, another similar point based system of how accessible a building could be easy to find on Google. Um, the affordability criteria applies for the entire duration of the affordability period beginning at the date of fir- first occupancy for new construction or major renovation and the interest adjustment date for existing buildings. So if you're doing a retrofit, it would happen when you kind of start that the construction process. Whereas if you're doing it for a brand new build, it would start when you start construction. The documentation is required to support the ongoing compliance. So proving that you're keeping these units affordable. Um, so it's a little bit more of, I would say, a long-term commitment if you're doing the affordability because you do have to you know, ensure that these units are kept affordable as a landlord in a long-term basis. Um, and they have to go through or they have to, you have to stay compliant throughout that affordability period. Now we're going to be adding another acronym, a well-known one back into the mix. We're talking CMHCs, MLIs, LTVs. 
a bit of a mouthful, but let's talk loan-to-value ratios. This is where it starts to get good, folks. In new construction, residential component up to 95%. That's loan-to-cost. For non-residential components, that's up to a 75% loan-to-cost. For existing properties, residential components up to 95% loan-to-value. And for non-residential components, that's again up to a 75% loan to value. Not not bad there. Well, it's especially funny because I was talking about how people are buying, uh, like I think, I, I think that it, there's probably a systemic problem where people are buying rental properties, claiming that they're owner-occupied and using up to 95% loan to value, CMHC insured mortgages. And it's like, you could just do that legally and not have to lie if you just did a 5 plus unit building and went through this program. And it it is known to take a pretty long time to get the, these financing programs, just so you're aware. And I don't mean to like say that to be disrespectful to CMHC because I know that they're trying exceptionally hard, but these programs are very oversubscribed. It's it's a very popular program because and you can understand why. Like you can now get up to ninety five percent loan to value purchasing a five plus unit building. Um and so, so I guess the, the next piece is be talking about sort of loan advancing, how they service these, how do you get the the funding, you know, especially if you're in the construction side. So if it's a new construction, the loan may be advanced up to 95% of cost during the construction process. It typically comes in draws. They'll usually establish a schedule with you. So it'll be like, you got to spend 500K and then we'll give you 500K back or whatever, 100K and then we'll give you that back. And you usually have what's called a quantity surveyor or some sort of system to keep you honorable to the money that you're spending so that people can't just like pad their construction budgets and make money and, you know, exploit these exceptional government programs. Um, then there's a, in the existing properties, the loan would be advanced up to 95% of value kind of like right away. So it'd be available once you take possession of that property or once you are doing construction or improvement. Um, if once that's complete, if you're doing like a retrofit, and the interest rate, um, I mean, they tend to range. Like I've heard of deals funding, I, th- I want to say like recently, like in the 4%. Um, but I don't want to say low 4s, but but in the 4s somewhere. So they tend to, to be sort of like 100 bips below what you would see on the residential yeah, side. Yeah, I mean, they're really attractive rates for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, there's programs for fixed interest rates or floating interest rates. And they kind of have like ceilings where, you you know, you you, I guess... We're starting to see this happening in the residential space as well, where apparently like if you basically just call your bank and say you're having financial trouble, they will just make you stop paying your mortgage principal or whatever. But but yeah, so um, great rate rate programs anyway. The the next piece, the amortization is really where, where it gets fun. I, I think you mean amortization. Yeah. No? Well, I, I'm not the Italian oh, one in the room, right. so. Let's just have a quick definition of... Uh, amortization again, which is a way to pay off debt in equal installments that include varying amounts of interest and principal payments over the life of a loan. So anyone out there with a mortgage, you have an, what's known in, in the industry as an AM schedule where you can go and look at the breakdown of principal and interest over the course of your mortgage term. The average mortgage term for uh, a property in Canada is 25 years. Amortization period is... 25. Yes. Term is five. Oh, sorry. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Term, term is five. Amortization is 25. We see them being pushed to 30, which again, increases buying power because you are spreading your debt over a longer period of time. Well, CMHC has taken that 25 years and said, you know what? That's nowhere near enough. Let's double it and bring it up to 
50 years. Yes, 50 years, which is crazy. Uh, the amortization period must not exceed the remaining economic life of the property. So if you have a dilapidated property uh, for some reason and CMHC does not think it's going to last 50 years, they probably won't give you an AM schedule for that 50. Um, I don't think that happens often, but this is a huge thing for um for this product, the the fact that you can spread your debt over 50 years and something similar to a lot of the products that exist south of the border in the states where um, terms and amortization periods are a lot more stretched out than we have up uh, up here in Canada. Yeah. And, and so what this does is it allows you to, you're paying less principal. So you get closer and closer to having what would be like an interest only loan where you only pay interest. That's what that means. Um, and what ultimately this ends up being is you you have a, a mortgage where CMHC really under underwrites based on the debt service coverage ratio or DSCR of a property. So a DSCR is the measure of cash flow available to pay current debt obligations on the property. And they would have different expected ratios for different types of, of properties. Um, the DSCR is used to analyze firms, but also projects or individual borrowers and the minimum that they demand is based on macroeconomic conditions, but also the project type, project viability, et cetera. And basically the formula for a DSCR debt service coverage ratio is net operating income divided by debt service. And that could be for a property, net operating income on a property versus debt on a property. So it's just literally a ratio of one, one item to another item. Um, So the next piece is talking about beyond DSCR being the, the, piece of security that they would use is the property can the property pay that pay its debts is it a lannister per se like the uh, game of thrones <laughs> can the property always pay its debts nice. um yeah the this the next security type would be um recourse right so this comes down to there's a couple of different ways that they can see uh safety or creates safety or security for themselves as lenders so the first second and, and peri pursue mortgages are permitted. So second mortgages are permitted as an interim measure. So they won't go in second position unless it's necessary. I don't I I've personally never heard of or seen CMHC doing a second, but it does say this on their on their site. So yeah, for sure. And I think I think they're probably just protecting themselves against that. And damn, we missed a, a huge opportunity here because now I'm gonna have to jump in and do the Latin, which peri passu is Latin for equal footing. Our resident Latin expert forgot that one, and that is a financing arrangement that gives multiple lenders equal claim to assets used to secure a loan. So anyways, big big Latin guy over here now. Um, let's keep this party going. Replacement reserve requirements. So the replacement reserve requirements are discretionary under the MLI select and based on the strength of the borrower and the application. All pretty standard stuff. Um, you know, you, a lot of this stuff is is exactly what you'd be doing on a um, a normal mortgage application for a single family home, right? It all comes down to debt service coverage ratio. It comes down to the eligibility and the quality of the borrower. Uh, it comes down to AM schedules, et cetera. So this is just CMHC really giving a thorough understanding of of what the MLI select is, but it's not all MLI select specific. This is a lot of this stuff is pretty standard. And and to be honest, like these are really good loan programs, and they are difficult to get, and they should be. They ought yeah. to be. Anything worthwhile, anything worth doing in life is typically hard. Um, and so, you know, we're going to go through sort of how much paperwork and it, 
and things you have to do. It's a lot. Stuff you have Intent. to provide. But, <laughs> but the reality is this is there for a reason and it's a good reason and it's because the money, the, the credit programs are good and they're meaningful and they would really do good things for people who want to invest. So, you know, don't look at it as like roll your eyes and say, oh, this is ridiculous. It's so much work. I don't, it's not worthwhile. Look at it as, you know, there's a great opportunity on the other side of this. And I, these are the, the boxes that I have to tick to get there. So um, the borrower eligibility, obviously they want a borrower who demonstrates competence and experience with, you know, that that is corresponded to the size and type of property uh, for which the more, so, you know, if it's a lot of us, like myself included, you know, wanting to do smaller cap projects, building a fiveplex or adding five units to an existing building is is probably within the scope of something that we could likely get approved for if we've you know turn, flipped a couple properties or GC'd or added units before we understand the, the code but if we went and applied for a high-rise PBR building in a market that we're not in they're just gonna say no and there's good reason for that because you're creating risk um, so a, a formal property management contract can also be made in place with a professional third-party property management firm rather than you demonstrating the ability for you to manage the property on your own. And this really, you know, because and, and CMHC is saying, we know that professional property management um, creates better quality of life for tenants, but it also creates a better business relationship for owners too. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, borrower's net worth. So a borrower must have a minimum net worth equal to at least 25% of the loan amount being requested with a minimum of $100,000 net worth. So for insurance applications scoring a total of 100 points or more, CMHC may permit flexibility in net worth requirements, but that's on a case-by-case basis that you might have to fill out something called like a PNW, which is a personal net worth statement, which basically shows your net worth, uh, which is you know very simple, your assets minus your liabilities. It is interesting too. Like I, as a taxpayer who is, you know, one of the people who gives money to CMHC, obviously a very small amount of it, but just like, <laughs> just the thought process here is like, I don't have any objections to them requiring that people have a net worth higher than a hundred thousand dollars. It's probably a do. pretty good idea. Right. Yeah. So, um, guarantee requirements is next on the list and it says, can, so, Construction or ta- or completion takeout financing. So a borrower and guarantor must provide their covenant or guarantee for 100% of the outstanding amount owing under the housing loan from the time until the project or uh, until the rents have been achieved. So basically, the, the, the project is stabilized for 12 consecutive months, at which time the additional guarantee required may be reduced to 40%. So they take until the project is stabilized, you're guaranteeing 100% of the project. And then once it's stabilized, the project is kind of guaranteeing itself. So, um, they, I guess you, it, that would be reduced to 40% of the outstanding loan amount under the mortgage, um, from time to time. Yeah. So let's now look at a purchase or refinance of existing properties. Um, for new loans on existing residential rental properties, the guarantee amount required by CMHC is 40% of the outstanding loan amount owing under the mortgage from time to time. And then they do have a limited recourse consideration that they put here. Again, something I've never seen used, um, maybe like in emergency situations where the loan's already committed to and for some reason it can't work. Um, But it says they may consider limited recourse lending for loan to values equal to or below 65% loan to value or in cases where the borrower is unable to provide a meaningful covenant or guarantee such as 
nonprofits. I guess this is why I've never seen it. I didn't really think of that context. Nonprofits, community-based organizations, and social mandate-driven borrowers, or in cases where a minimum of 100 points are achieved under the MLI Select offering. Notwithstanding that, the borrower remains liable under limited resource loan for fraud and environmental liabilities in all cases. So it's just uh, recourse on the debt that they would be limited on if you, you know, do environmental damage to the property or commit fraud, you are still going to be liable. They don't waive that liability if you commit real crimes. Um, the the recourse of the approved lender, uh, they said, should be limited to the property and all and the other assets taken as security and not personally against the borrower. So similar to non-recourse loans that you hear in the US, um, which a lot of their stuff is, to be honest, which is kind of why the US is you get that extreme wealth and, and just like crazy wealth generation. Um, in all cases, they may require risk mitigation measures as it deems appropriate. Um, so equity retention, replacement reserves, collateral security, personal guarantees, etc. These are all things that traditional lenders are going to require from you anyway. But it's worth us going through this exercise and talking about these things because I think it does create value for our listeners. Now, our final acronym of the day, we're talking FACTS or FAQs, or better known as Frequently Asked Questions. Now, this is from the CMHC website, but we figured, you know what, you probably don't want to go in and read it for yourself, so we will tell you all about it. When can I apply to MLI Select? You will be able to apply to the MLI Select program following its official launch on March 7th, 2022. So we're live, we're rocking and rolling. We are using this program right now. You do have to go through the broker channel to to get this program. So uh, if you need help and are interested or have a property that fits uh, the criteria here, reach out and we will connect you with the right people. Is the application process different or how do we submit applications for this new pro- product? And they're, they're comparing it to their previous product, which we'll get to, I think, in the next question. But um, it uses the same application process as their market MLI product. Uh, product sorry, And um, there are additional documentation requirements, which hopefully we'll have time to get to here because um, it is a pretty big list. Uh, will you still offer MLI Flex? If not, when will it end? Unfortunately, MLI Select came into effect. Oh, sorry. It unfortunately came into effect as of March 7th and has replaced the previous product known as MLI Flex. Uh, applications for MLI Flex are no longer being accepted. What happens if you had a Flex application when it was launched? It would be anything that was received prior would still be reviewed under the previous criteria. Will I have to submit additional documentation for the commitments being made? The answer is yes. Depending on the commitments you are making, such as climate or accessibility, additional documentation we will be required, obviously, to to prove some of those things. So that is all in the MLI Select Required Documentation Guide, which is a really good read if you're into that kind of thing. Um the next one is how do you find median renter income for the market to establish those affordability targets? And they actually have a link to a spreadsheet where they actually provide all of it. Um, but you can also just Google, I think, uh, real median total household income before taxes, which is where they get the data. And they're using 29 data in this, uh, sorry, 2019 data in this, um, in this spreadsheet here, but they do provide a spreadsheet for you. Uh, and if you want to email the show, we can send that over to you as well. How will the energy efficiency commitments be monitored? At the time of the application, the approved lender must submit to CMHC underwriting documentation provided by the borrower that demonstrates the borrower's commitment to achieving 
that energy efficiency criteria. Within 60 days of final advance, the approved lender must obtain from the borrower signed attestation stating the energy efficiency criteria has been satisfied. And you'll note that it does say there the approved lender. So again, CMHC is not lending the money here. This is a pretty important distinction because it does always sound like like we even talk about it in the industry as if CMHC is like the one solving the problem in this. But the the reality is they're insuring the loans similar to the way that they would if they're doing an insurance program for a high loan to value residential purchase. You know, your TD bank is lending the money and CMHC is providing insurance, which allows TD to take on much more risk as an example and give you a lower rate because there's... So they basically erase their risk premium. Um, so the next piece is, will CMHC consider accept um, or accept modeling against local building codes instead of um, NEBC, the, so the national or the, or the NBC national building code? And this is interesting from my perspective because it makes it easy for us to talk about things at a national level uh, from, const- from a construction perspective when we're moving forward. They say in an effort to standardize their programs, they're, they don't want to model against local building codes. They so they want to use national building code, and this is it's it's really cool from my perspective to see us progressing towards using a national building code because now we can talk about adding a new unit that meets that national criteria, and it would apply to everybody coast to coast. And we're always going to be talking in most cases, we're always going to be talking about adding units to meet these national building codes because that's where you're going to get the good funding. That's where you're going to get the um you know the um grant programs and um tax inc- increments or any advantages that you're seeing as a result of these energy efficiency programs is at that national building code level. So we're gonna you'll probably hear us start talking about that and adding units within the context of, of what fits this NBC that CMHC is using as well. And on that note, we're at the last frequently asked question here, which is, will I still get an energy efficiency rebate on my premium? As MLI Select offers reduced premiums as well as other incentives for energy efficiency commitments, CMHC will no longer offer energy efficiency rebates. The deal can't, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. They, we can't do, CMHC yeah. can't do everything here. But it's, it's also not to say that you can't get, and that was sort of why I contextualize it with the National Building Code stuff, is like, it's not to say that you can't get um, other government programs like if you put solar panels exactly. or like some of the new window programs or insulation programs you can still get all of those they're not but they're just not providing their energy efficiency rebates you can you can stack your other rebates into it but uh so that's the frequently asked questions dan let's move on to the documentation guide that you've got here yeah so this is um specific to the affordability energy efficiency and accessibility criteria pertaining to mli select um, they they do have another whole list of documentation provided to the multi-unit mortgage loan insurance, which is just like the, the term debt. Um, and maybe I'll I'll try and pull that up as well, or maybe probably worth just doing a whole episode on the multi-unit required documentation or multi-unit program, the term debt. Um, let's talk about the affordability criteria as well. So at the time of application, the approved lender must. Submit to CMHC underwriting documentation that supports the borrower's commitment to meeting the affordability criteria as evidenced by the pro forma rent roll for new construction or the current rent roll for the existing properties. Rent roll is basically just a history of and a history and proof of that you're getting rent on time, uh, which clearly demonstrates the affordability level in the form acceptable to CMHC. 
Yeah. So the the next piece is the energy efficiency element. Um, so you know, similarly, they want you to pr- provide basically like a sworn affidavit or an attestation or an approved letter, um, including the signed attestation. Um, and then they they provide third party building standards that are there's a list of them f- um, found below that Nick's going to give us. Um, but basically, the energy efficiency criteria is the report must confirm that the project will satisfy or satisfies the relevant reduction in energy consumption and greenhouse gas emissions. So they want us to be building sustainable housing. Uh, and they have different percentage points that allow you different points for their... Um, but they're all um, 2017 and 2015 National Building Code for new construction. Um, and the report must include... The, they give us a list of following information, uh, executive summary of comparison of total energy consumption and greenhouse gas emission reduction performance between the base case and proposed pro, uh, project or completed project by including um, a table that they, they put in the um, in the PDF on the on the website which is basically like it's just like a assess building reference building so they're kind of just it's, you're creating a comparison of what it would have been and, and how it would how it would be after your improvements and then they go through what this is what most people end up using rather than like creating their own documentation they just use what's called third-party building standards so Nick if you can give us that list. For sure. So the third-party building standards and certifications, CMHC will also consider alternative approaches for demonstrating compliance with energy efficiency criteria, including third-party energy efficient building standards or other certifications recognized by CMHC. Uh, and here are the ones that they look at, which is NRCAN, otherwise known as National Resources Canada, the BC Step Code, the Nova Climate, which is out of Quebec, Built Green out of BC, Passive House Institute, and Canada Green Building Council. Yeah, and then the, the next piece is uh, very similar for the um, accessibility portion. Um, they basically want you to, again, the approved lender must submit to CMHC this, all this underwriting documentation, all the other stuff that, that we mentioned before, but they want building to comply to similar third-party standards, so B651-18 for 100% visibility and barrier-free common areas, as an example, um, or they comply with uh, difficult, uh, or sorry, other um, applicable qualification criteria. Um, 100% of the units comply with universal design principles, as, a, as an example, or the results of the certification from the Rick Hansen Foundation um, comply with applicable qualification criteria, as we mentioned before. So, and that can be found on that on the Rick Hansen Foundation website. Actually, if you search like what uh, Rick Hansen Foundation Gold Standard Building would be, but it's basically like the most accessible building that you could possibly have. So that's uh, that's probably a pretty good summary. Just to clarify and just to recap, affordability, accessibility, and energy efficiency are the three ways that you can score points in order to secure MLI Select, which we believe is probably the best mortgage product in Canada for multifamily. So if you are an investor, which you likely are, or at least want to be, if you're listening to this show, learn this program and go find deals that fit in this program because it's probably the best one on the market. Uh, any closing remarks, Dan? I know we got to head out to a meeting here in, yeah. uh, in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, we should be calling an Uber right now, actually. But, um, you know, I think it's interesting. Like, we've always said on this show that if you're creating value, then, and if you lead with creating value, then the good, that's where you start getting the good of, of 
life and the industry and returns and whatever it is. And this is such a, a clear iteration of that. It's like if you're create if you're creating social value through wanting to build affordable units or accessible units or energy efficient units, then you can go and get literally the best money. You can get the best rates in the market. You can get stretched amortizations that pretty much guarantee you cash flow on a project unless the the investment is bad. Like literally, if you if if an investment doesn't work with with this debt, it's not a good investment. Like guarantee, guarantee. You know what I mean? And so, um, I just think it's it's really like it's it's so perfect to show. Okay, look here are three categories of where you can create social value as a landlord. Here's an uh, here's a, a a lending program that perfectly incentivizes you to do that. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. We got to go because we are almost late for our next meeting. So we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317. Agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.